Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Hey, uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, It was such a joy. How many of you are really excited every Sunday that you're here to get to sing along with these people? I mean, oh my goodness. You guys crushed it this morning. Thank you so much. It was phenomenal. Um, Any other like foot stompers or people that want to clap or you want to shout a little, but you're like, I'm just going to get looked at funny. So you don't. I get it. Next week, we're not going to be here. So sing, clap, shout, do all you want. Nobody will judge you. Um, How many of you, uh, okay, yeah, I'm Michael. Let's start there. I'm Michael Stinnett. My wife, Tracy, is sitting there. She's really the person you need to know. Uh, She carries the weight of our family and uh, does so much for us. She actually wrote the sermon this morning. Those of you who know me know that that's not true. I just say it. It helps me not be so nervous because yesterday I wasn't nervous. But then as they're praying this morning, my heart's racing and I'm like, it's either the Starbucks or it's just that I'm nervous. And it's not normal. I love speaking. I love preaching. I love teaching. It's been something that I've done for many years, but it's been the longest season in my life without preaching over the last year. And so it's really nerve intense and exciting to get to do this. So I wanna say thank you to Dan. He's not here and hopefully not watching. (laughs) But I wanna say thank you to him. Um, Last year, my family made a very difficult decision to close a church that we were part of starting in 2012. And it was very, very difficult to, to close. It was the hardest decision maybe that I've ever made. But deciding which church we were going to be a part of after was not a difficult decision because we know Dan. We value him and his leadership and his vision and the way he cares for people. And so it was a very, very easy decision for us. And I'm excited to get to be part of Journey Church with you. With that said, I no longer want to talk about me because we will be here as if Dan were normally preaching if I don't get started. And that is a little bit of a jab, but I love him. Okay, so how many of you Christmas is your favorite season of the year? Raise your hands and go. All right, good. That's out of the rest. Are you, so are you like really, really disappointed the rest of the year? Some of you though, how many of you like love it in July when you walk into Hobby Lobby and it's Christmas? You're just like, oh, it's already here. And everybody else is like, no, it's not. No, it's not. How many of you are Christmas decoration judges where if people have their decorations up pre-Thanksgiving, you think they're, what are you trying to show off? What's that? Come on, hands up. Let's go. Don't be afraid. We know you're here. And the rest of you who are like, I put mine up at Halloween. It's okay. Just don't tell people. We already know. We drive by your houses and we see it and we think, ah. I gotta get up on the roof. I've gotta do it. How many of you love it when Christmas music starts? You'd be okay if it never ended and the rest of us are just like, please, I don't need Christmas music for a couple of years. I've had all of it. And then, except on Sunday mornings when you come in and they break a little Oh Holy Night and you're just like, huh, can we just get this song on repeat? Right? But we do, um, it gives us like an opportunity to, uh, to bring out some judgment in people because of their ways of celebrating that are different. The Christmas season is a phenomenon because it takes up over a sixth of the year every year. So over a sixth of our lives is spent in some capacity celebrating Christmas because it always starts pre-Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has kind of just become a day to get together and hang out and eat good food and watch some football. And then the next day, you know that you're going to watch the Razorbacks play. That's really all it's been for like the last, I don't know, what, 10 years, 15 years? Because here's how we can do that. How many of you really, really love Thanksgiving? We do. It's great. The meals, the family time, the meals, they're great. But it, it pales in comparison. We don't get weeks off work or off school and stuff like that. We, 
we overlook it because we're so excited about the next one. Um, and then there's uh, just a real quick history lesson. Uh, the word Christmas is relatively new. I mean, you're talking 1,500 to 1,800 years old, which I know some of you are like, that's not new. 1,800 years is old. But in the scope of time, it's, it's not. But you're talking... At research history would suggest that at best in the fourth century, Christmas became a thing because in the Catholic Church, you had the phrase Christ, it was Christus Masse, and it was the final mass of the year that they would celebrate, and so it became the Christ Mass, and then we just shortened that when it got to the south to Christmas. And it was the way of remembering Christ and his overcoming the darkness because at the end of the year, you have the darkest day of the year. And on the next day, they would celebrate the light that conquers the dark, which sounds really, really cool. Um, and that was a way of the church kind of branching together lots of different festivals and religious worship uh, days that were going on in all the different religions. And we brought that together under Christ is the light that has conquered the darkness. And so now we celebrate this Christmas of Christ conquering the darkness. And I wanted to keep talking about the idea of Christmas for a moment because there, Christmas movies abound, right? You've got Home Alone, which is a great one. It's, you know, it's a wonderful life, White Christmas, all those things. If, you know, you like those, you've got Elf, if you just want to laugh a little. The Grinch, which is my favorite. I love The Grinch with Jim Carrey. I think that it should be played all of the time. And then you've got Die Hard, which that's a Christmas movie, right? Because there's a tree in the movie and it's Christmas when they are being shot. So that's good. Christmas songs are all over the place. We sang some of them this morning. Christmas songs are by my favorite songs because they're so funny. Like, think about this for just a second, like the, uh, the Do You See What I See song. You guys like the Do You See What I See, Do You Hear What I Hear and all that. Yeah, we're talking to animals in that song. It's like the little lamb said to the shepherd boy, and I'm like, no, he didn't. The lamb probably said very little. Like, if you're four, and this is, what does the lamb say? What do they say? Bah. You know that. The four-year-olds know that, but the shepherd boy didn't. The lamb was telling him all kinds of stuff. Like, probably not. Silent Night, great song. Come on, clap if you like Silent Night. We do, and my wife knows where I'm going because there was nothing silent about that night. There was a host of angels singing and they came in and they told her all of these great things to Mary and Joseph and stuff, but it's a beautiful song. I love it. Mary, did you know? She did, Joseph didn't. <laughs> so we could change that one to Joseph, did you know? But then I feel like it's gonna lose some of its power because <laughs> he's the husband, he didn't know anything. We can carry that tradition on. Um, and then we've got some songs that we like to make fun of during the Christmas season. You know, like All I Want for Christmas. All I Want for Christmas is You is not satisfying anybody. Like that's most of us. It's not, all I want for Christmas is like, well, can I get a truck also? And you also? Um, how about uh, some George Michael, Last Christmas? Any, some of you are singing it now? That's okay. There's gonna be a confessional later. You can repent. Um, but we've got all these Christmas songs, and then we've got Christmas foods, and we've got Christmas decorations, and we've got Christmas traditions, and we have all of those things. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to build up to this moment right here where I say there is a solid reason that we have all of these Christmas traditions, we have all of these Christmas movies, we have all of these Christmas songs, we have all of the Christmas meals. The reason is because Christmas is the moment that God came in and redirected the course of history. He came in and he redirected the course of humanity. See, since the garden and Adam and Eve, they were hanging out and they were doing their thing. Marriage was great. Life was great. They were probably talking to the animals because they weren't trying to kill them yet. And everything was beautiful. And then we have Adam and Eve choosing sin over obedience. They chose sin over a life with Jesus and life with God, over celebrating with him, over a perfect relationship with the Father. They chose sin. And ever since that moment... Humanity had been on a downward slide. We just continued to fall further and further and further. <clears throat> and thinking about this, it made me think of the, uh, I think it was Civil War probably, not the war, the movie, <clears throat> where you've got uh, some superheroes fighting that shouldn't be fighting. Those movies are hard for me to watch. It makes my stomach turn. 
because good should not be fighting good. But one of them is they're falling off this building, right? And you're just sliding down the building. And you've seen these movies. If I'm not making the right one, then get the connection without telling me that I'm wrong. They're sliding down the building. And as you're sliding down the building, they're always grabbing at something and trying to capture themselves and trying to keep themselves from falling. And every now and then, you're sliding down the building, you'll grab something and it'll hold you up for just a little bit and you'll feel really, really safe and secure. And then that snaps and you begin to fall further down. That was humanity's story. We were constantly trying to keep from falling further. We were constantly trying to keep from going further down this massive slide, holding on to everything that we could do. And uh, I think for most of us, it's kind of like parenting. Parenting is, it's almost like you're always on a downward slide trying to just grasp hold of things. And so your kids are born, right? And you get your kids home and they start to sleep through like the first 30 minutes. And you're like, oh, 30 minutes. That was beautiful. And then you get to an hour and you've learned the art of taking naps when your child takes a nap. And then they sleep through that first night. And how many of you, when you're your, your kid, you got your kid home, slept through that first night, you were just like, hallelujah, Jesus is real, everything is good, and the world is great. How many of you were like, gas prices are going down tomorrow, everything is perfect when you got that first night of sleep? Some of you are like, I haven't had a night of sleep since my kids were born, and they're 37. <laughs> and for you, I am sorry. But what I'm saying is this, like you started to feel like you had a grasp on parenting when your kids started to sleep through the night. You started to feel like you had a grasp on parenting when, when your toddler, your little baby is starting to take those first steps and you're trying to watch their head on every corner of every end table that's around. You're putting little cushions up and you're covering everything up so they don't fall. You started to feel like you had a grasp and then there were four and they're running around on the soccer field playing soccer when they're four because that's what four-year-olds do. They want to be told what to do. And they all gather around and you feel like you're, but you're getting the hang of it. They learn how to ride a bike. They, they learn how to do all these things. They can write in cursive. And you know, you're getting the hang of parenting and then they become like preteens, which I don't understand that word because before you're a teen, you're a preteen. So at birth, you're a preteen, but somehow another 12 year old gets that. Um, and then you go from like 12 and then you have this massive teenager moment and where the parents cry a little. And you feel like you got it though. And then 14 happens and then your kid gets to drive and everybody is nervous. But you're like, okay, we got that. And then they're getting ready to turn 18 and like go off into the world, into the great unknown and be their own person and do their own thing. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I've messed everything up. Can I, there's no rewind button on parenting so you can't go back and figure that out. What I'm saying is this, is that we constantly feel like that we're figuring it out until the next moment comes and we realize we haven't. And that's what life has been. That's what humanity has been. That's the way everything had gone from the fall. That every time we thought that we could do something to make it better, to make it right, we realized that we were unable. We never quite had the answers to solve all of the problems. And then God, he inserts himself in. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture of God inserting himself into our chaos to be our peace. I wanna read this scripture from Luke. This is two, Luke 2, 13 through 15. So we will get a little bit of traditional Christmas Bible in, okay? But looking at this passage, um, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, and glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I want you, just for a moment, before we read the next piece of that, I just want you to hear this, okay? that God inserted himself into our chaos to bring us peace. That's what Christmas is. And here we have the angels, we have them coming to them and saying, a great company comes to, to Mary and they're saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And I know that some of us in this building right now, some of us who are online watching right now, the one thing that you need most in this universe is peace. But you don't just need quiet. You don't just need calm. You need the presence of God. Because what God, what he's saying here is he's not saying, I'm going to give you peace and I'm going to end all of the wars. I'm going to give you peace and I'm going to end your marital spats. I'm going to give you peace and your kids are always going to love you and everything's going to be great. I'm going to give you peace and traffic will always flow at the speed, at the direction that you want. 
That's not what God says. God says, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. And what we know as we continue this story is that essentially what God is saying is, I am coming to give you myself and I am peace. So here is your peace. You can rest. Let's continue. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, so here we have it, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Because the angels came to the shepherds and said, glory to God, peace is here. And the shepherds said, let's go and see what this is, which the Lord has told us about. God becomes one of us to rescue us. Because it didn't have to be that way, but it, it, it's what he chose. He became one of us to rescue us. In the second century, one of the church fathers, Arrhenius, said it this way. He said that the word of God, Jesus Christ, on account of his great love for mankind, became what we are in order to make us what he is himself. Arrhenius said that basically God chose to come down in Jesus Christ and give us himself so that he could make us what he is. And actually in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we'll talk about that later, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin, why? For us, that we might become his righteousness. See, God in Romans 8 says that he is conforming us to the image of Jesus. All of this is so that God can make us like Christ so that others will see how good he is. And that's what we're gonna be talking about. The entire scope of this message is summed up in this, that God has come to us so that he can make us like him so that others will see how good he is. He wants the world to see his goodness. He wants the world to experience his grace and that's what he's done. And I wanted to talk for a little bit about this. See, it's very difficult. <clears throat> it's very difficult to save a drowning person without getting yourself wet. We can stand on the side, swim harder, okay. No, grab that. You've, you've got to get yourself wet to save them and that's what God has done. He got into the messy water. He got into the mess of our lives. He got into our chaos. But I want to prove that through the New Testament. And so now we're going to continue along in Luke and we're going to look at what Simeon, uh, has to say in Luke 2, 29. We're gonna read these verses. Simeon is saying, sovereign Lord, because Mary and Joseph have walked into the temple, they brought Jesus in, baby Jesus is here, and he's like, hey, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in what? You may now dismiss your service in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It's super great. This is awesome. Imagine being the parents of this child and they come up and he's like, oh, your baby. Because most of us get really, really excited whenever they're like, oh, your baby's so cute. Look at all that hair. Such a cute baby. Oh my goodness, I just want to hold your baby. And then every now and then you see the baby that's not so cute, but you don't say that. But this guy comes up and he says, oh, salvation is here, hope is here, the glory of God is here. I can go in peace now, I have seen your salvation. Like, could you imagine as a parent, how much are you like, oh, I think so too, right, yeah. He says these things and then, um, he goes on to say something that's not quite as interesting uh, to the parents probably. He says, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will, will pierce your own soul too. See, that's the follow-up to salvation is here. A light of revelation to the Gentiles is here. Everyone's gonna see the glory of God is here. Oh, and by the way, people will be against him. And a sword is going to pierce your own soul too. And at that point, I could picture if this were me and, and this were Tracy and we were walking in and this is what the priest told us, we'd kind of be like, huh, can we get like a second opinion? 
Is there like another priest, prophet, door greeter or somebody? Because we need some different words. We need some encouragement here. And then Anna comes in. And Anna, if, if you're not familiar with Anna, please look in Luke 2. Go to the New Testament. Turn a few pages till you find Luke chapter 2. And you see a brief description of Anna. Anna is a woman. She's lived a long time. And it says that she never leaves the temple. She's praying and fasting and worshiping all of the time. And she's like 80-something years old. And she was married when she was young. And after seven years of marriage, her husband died. And she lived the rest of her life as a widower just worshiping. And what she was looking forward to was God bringing himself in to rescue Israel. And she says in Luke 2, verse 38, coming up to them, Anna says, at the very moment that she came up, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because I want you to see that through scripture, throughout scripture, we have God inserting himself in. And there's verse after verse after verse of God inserting himself in to human history so that he can bring redemption. In John chapter one, we've got more explanation of this. In John chapter one, we see that in the beginning was the Word, and this is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and in Him, in this Word, was life. And that life, here, that life was, was what was the light of all mankind. There's so much here. This is Christmas, right? The light that came into the world. He is the light of all mankind. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and the Word became flesh. And I love this phrase. We can't miss this phrase. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Here is the Christmas message that God inserted himself in Christ into our story to rewrite history for his glory. And to understand, so that's all of that. That's, that's, Jesus did it. God is here. To understand the significance of Christmas, we have to telescope out to the purpose of God in sending Jesus to us in the first place. It is really, really intriguing, and it's, it's a little bit tempting for us, and maybe we want to stop right here because the Christmas story is a story of hope. The Christmas message is a message of hope. It is a message of glory. It is a message of good. It is a message of God loves, and God is kind, and God is faithful, and sometimes we stop right there and we don't understand all of the things that came after the Christmas story. We don't consider all of the things that came after the Christmas story, but I want us to focus on the why did Christmas happen in the first place, and that happens in Romans 5. I want you, before we read that text, if my view of Christmas doesn't telescope out to include the death and resurrection of Jesus, then I have a short-sighted view of Christmas. Because we have to encompass the whole, why did he come? And Romans 5 is where I want us to go right there. And we're going to talk in Romans 5 for a little bit about the why. And then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5 and we're going to talk about what do we do now, okay? So, Romans 5. And this, is, this is the Apostle Paul. Paul, he's writing to the church in Rome a long time ago. And he's trying to encourage them how to be faithful. He says, you see that at just the right time when we were still powerless that Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die which sounds like a really really weird kind of mix of words but what I want you to hear here is this all right where he says that very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person that means that you're not going to die for somebody who just didn't do wrong Right? When he says for a righteous person, it just means somebody who didn't mess everything up. You're not going to die for that person. Well, I mean, he hadn't killed anybody yet, so you want to die for him? Probably not. That's not the guy that you're willing to die for. But then he says, but for somebody like a good person, like somebody who goes above and beyond and does amazing things, somebody might be daring to die. You might be like, yeah, I mean, for him, yes. For you, no. And then he says, in comparison to that, but because we are neither the righteous person nor the good person, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, not righteous, not good, we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And I said earlier that this is really about peace and it's really about hope. And it's this word reconciliation. The word that we have to come to when we're describing what God has done for us and and who God is in all of this is reconciliation. See, because the Christmas message is a message of peace, it's a message of reconciliation. Christmas is the overflow of God's grace taking an active role to pursue us, to reconcile us. And that's what we're celebrating this season. And every day that we wake up in this season, may we remember that God is reconciling us. And I want to point out a few things from this text. That God took an active role to pursue us. And the first thing is that while we were still powerless, while we were still powerless, God took an active role to pursue us. We couldn't pursue him. We couldn't chase after him. We couldn't know him. We couldn't find him. We didn't even look for him. And we were powerless. We couldn't write it. We couldn't figure it out. And I want you to think it's not difficult for us. We can go back to the parenting illustrations for those of you who are parents. It's like, I, I'm never figuring this out. You can, we can take it a little bit. Any of you ever been in a relationship at all? doesn't take long to figure out that you don't know relationships. I'm really bad at this whole relationship thing. I know that I like you. Sometimes you like me. Marriage? Yes. And friends, you think about friends. How many of you went through a lot of friends before you found a friend? Right now you're like, my friends are here. I can't nod my head. Yes. Some of you are like, I'm still searching. Right? Because we realize that we don't have the power to do the things that we really want done. And what Paul is saying here is that while we were still powerless, while we were still helpless, and in all of Romans, he's been building up through talking about the law, right? And the law was given. And the law is proof that we can't make it. All of the rules are proof. The law and all of our effort had failed to accomplish righteousness. It wasn't working. And Paul says that the law condemns while Christ brings righteousness. And see, we were powerless. And I want to say, if I try to earn God's favor, I condemn myself. I think that might be one of the biggest struggles for those of us who are in like Western Christianity is that we have this bent toward trying to earn God's favor. But we are powerless. We are helpless. But God came. And not only were we powerless, we were ungodly. And I know some of you are like, I mean, not me. I mean, I'm a decent human. Right? But the bar isn't at decent. The bar is like God. That's the bar. You've got to be like God. And the scripture says that we were ungodly. Romans 5 verse 6, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. And all of our efforts to be holy, it's such an interesting paradox, so much irony. All of our efforts to be holy continue to display the reality that we are not holy. The harder that we try to do good, the harder that we try to be right, the more that we display that we're not. The more that we show that we really, really need Jesus. We really, really need his hope. We really, really need the power of the spirit. We really, really need God to come into our mess. We really, really need somebody to help us through this constant chaos. And we just call it life but we think we can make it. We've got this figured out, but we were ungodly. And see, we were not designed to be able to do it on our own. We were not designed to be able to be holy, to be able to be godly without God. And you cannot outwork your design. What we are designed for is what we will do. The way we design our lives, that will determine the outcomes that we get. And we constantly are trying to fight against that. When God says, I'm here, I've come into your situation. I am so ready to receive you. But not only were we powerless, not only were we ungodly, the scripture continues to kind of just like show us further and further, we were enemies. And again, I'm like, I'm not God's enemy. I like the dude. I like God. You see the shirts, like you see all those, like Jesus is my friend, Jesus is my homie. You see all those kinds of things or whatever. And I'm like, really? Let's talk about Jesus. What makes him your homie? What makes him your friend? What makes him your your, your pal? There's a, there's a big difference between saying that we like God 
and then proving that we're not his enemies. And here's what I mean by that. God has given us his commands. God has given us what he wants from us, what he wants for us. God has given us the path to salvation. God has given us the path to hope. God has given us the person of Jesus Christ and his presence in the Holy Spirit. God has given us those things. But the way we make ourselves God's enemies is that we say, God, I appreciate all that you've done. I see those things, but I'm gonna do it this way. And I says, but that's not the way that I've made for you. God, I'm gonna do it this way, but that's not the way that I've made for you. And we continue to put ourselves against God. That makes us his enemy. Our attempts to earn God's approval actually put us at odds with God because we are in a broken relationship with him before Christ. And that's the whole thing, is Romans 5. We were ungodly, we were powerless, we were helpless, we were sinners. And all that is were, 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 and I love it because at the end, in verse 11, he says that we have now received reconciliation through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> When's the last time that you woke up in the morning and you reminded yourself that you have been reconciled to God? You ever have a really big fight with somebody that you love at night? Anybody? Anybody ever have a really big fight at night? Makes it hard to go to sleep? Anybody? Anybody? Just me? Right? Makes it hard to go to sleep. You're like, oh, is this ever going to get better? Am I ever going to figure this out? Am I ever going to know anything about life? When you wake up in the morning, instead of thinking, ah, oh, I'm just going to blow it again today, how about, I'm so thankful that I'm reconciled. I'm so thankful that I have peace with God. I'm so thankful that I'm still not in that situation that I was in even last night because God has reconciled me. See, God accomplished for us in Christ the thing that we could not accomplish for ourselves and we are now again, as we were in creation, Adam and Eve in the garden, we are now again at peace with God in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? If you are in Christ, you are at peace with God, like the creator of the universe who breathes fire for fun, right? He says sun exists and then a, balling, a ball of burning gas is there. Like that's scary, but you're at peace with him because of Christ. He, we were helpless, we were powerless, but his strength is made per perfect in us. We were ungodly, but he has made us righteous in Christ. We were his enemies, but now he calls us his friends in Christ. And all of these things that Romans 5 says, that while we were this, while we were this, we were, we were powerless, we were ungodly, we were enemies, God has satisfied all of those things in reconciling us to himself through Christ Jesus. The Christmas message is that God has made us his friends, that God has given us his power, that God has given us his righteousness in Christ and we are no longer headed on a downward spiral everywhere around us might be going to chaos but not those of us who are in Christ because we have been reconciled to the father he was the promise of peace on earth and goodwill toward men they sang this morning one of the phrases he is the prince of peace and one of my life verses, one of the staples of my life is Romans 5.1. And please hear this verse this morning as I read this, Romans 5.1. Let me just speak it over you this morning. It says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Speak this to yourself and let this roll over your soul that you have been justified by faith and you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. God is not angry with you. God is not waiting to condemn you. God's wrath is no longer hanging over you in Christ. Rather, God says, welcome in. You are my friend and I love you and I am at peace with you because of Christ. Now, peace is a confusing word. When we think of peace, we often think of absence of conflict. We think of absence of tension. We get peace wrong. See, because peace requires working through the conflict to find a resolution. So the reality is, is that for peace to exist, there must be conflict. There must be tension for peace to be a reality. Anybody, um, any Ultron people, you really liked that one? The Ultron movie? You've heard of the Ultron movie? Okay, great. 
You mean spoil Spider-Man? Just kidding, I haven't seen it. They hit an iceberg at the end, it's bad. Um, all right. Ultron, one of the best lines in any Avengers movie ever. They're fighting on this little bridge thing, and he says, I think you've confused peace with quiet. I think that's what some of us have done. Is when everything is quiet, we're like, ah, peace. I'm like, no, that's not it. Peace is so much bigger than calm. Peace is so much bigger than, con than, than absence of conflict. But we are at peace now, and that peace is the peace of God that surpasses understanding, that we can't even understand it. And now that we are at peace, and here's the application part of this message, I really hope we can drive this part home, is that now that we are at peace, we are called to be peacemakers. That God did not redeem us, God did not reconcile us just for fun. There was a purpose to all of this, and the purpose in all of this is because he's not just after us. He's not just after Michael, he's not just after Tracy, he's not just after Hayden, he's not just after Adam, he's after the world. And the way that he is after the world is that he has made us at peace that we might be extenders of peace. He has made us at peace with him that we might be peacemakers with others. And here's, here's why I say that, because his purpose is that Christ would redeem us, Christ would reconcile us, Christ would restore us, all to repurpose us for his glory. Our lives are all about his glory, and the way that he is most glorified is by more people enjoying him, is by more people knowing him, by more people waking up in the morning and saying to themselves with a great big smile and a breath of air, I am reconciled. I have been rescued. Life is chaotic, but it's not over yet. God's in the middle. I'm gonna make it. We need more of that. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18. Go here with me for a little bit, okay? Paul's talking in verse 17. He says that uh, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And then he says, all this is from God who, here's that word again. We're gonna see this word a lot. This is a huge Bible word, reconciled. It just means that you were brought back together. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and this phrase, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, this is so good, right? He reconciled us and then gave us the ministry to go and reconcile others. God's so smart. He said that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Hallelujah. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He gave us the message of reconciliation. He could have just like poured down the Holy Spirit on everybody and said, boom, reconciled. Let's go. He could have just wiped everybody out with fire or some other cool thing that wouldn't have been cool. I didn't know what to say there. I got stumbled. He could have started fresh. He could have started it all over with, with people that didn't have to be reconciled because they were always consiled. Is that the word? But he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And here's, here's why I think that he's committed to us the message of reconciliation, because we know the joy of being brought back. We know the joy of a chaotic life, a life that we can't figure out, hope that we don't know how to find. We know the joy of seeing light when we're in constant despair. We know the joy of finding hope in Christ. We know the joy of seeing our sins forgiven, of feeling the weight of our sins lifted. We know the joy of that. And so now what he says is, I've given you the message of reconciliation. Why? Because we understand what it feels like to be reconciled. There Here's the speculation. If you know the story of the prodigal son, this son who said, hey, father, I really wish that you would just give me my inheritance now, which was like saying, hey, dad, I need you to be dead. And then he runs off and he spends all of the inheritance and then he realizes that he has nothing. His life is miserable. And so he's like, you know what? I'm gonna go back to be with my dad. Eh, it's something. And when he goes back and he's like, I'm just gonna, maybe you'll let me work for him. The dad sees this son who says to him, essentially, I wish that you were dead. I never want to see you again. Just give me the money. And when the father sees him, he runs to him and he embraces him and he tells everybody, son's back, throw a party. Let's go. They were reconciled. Why were they reconciled? Because the father loved the son and he was just glad to be with him. But I cannot imagine in all the land that there was a better person to testify to the love of his dad than that son. Let me tell you how much my dad loves me. You think he went to town, right? And he was shopping at the local Target. And whenever somebody would say something about his dad, do you think that he just let that go? Somebody said something bad about his dad. I, mm -mm. 
You don't know him like I know him. Let me tell you a little bit about my father and about how much he loves me. Because his life had been changed because of the love of his father. And he had the message of reconciliation. And this next passage says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. If you, like, sometimes we just read over this, right? Like we are Christ's ambassadors. We're God's ambassadors. And God's making his appeal through us. Like me and you. Those of us who are here right now, God's like making his appeal to the world through us. And some of us are like, well, they're not gonna hear the right message. I get it, me too sometimes. I struggle too sometimes. But his appeal is being made through those that he has reconciled. Why? Because he wants to reconcile more people. We implore you on Christ's behalf, still going through this, be reconciled to God. Why would we encourage other people to be reconciled to God? It's multiple fold, but here's one reason. One, because we know the joy of being reconciled to God. And I love you, so I want you to know it too. Come try something that I've tried. Come experience something that I've experienced. Word of mouth, it's the best way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And I'm not done. We're gonna go through 1 Timothy 2 now. 1 Timothy 1, I'm sorry, verses 15 and 16. And I was actually talking with Hayden, I believe Hayden Huckabee and I were talking and this passage came up, by the way, if you don't know Hayden Huckabee, he's, uh, we'll just get him, we'll, hey, you need to stay and have a reception line. We're just gonna everybody go through and say hi. He was sharing some of this passage and it just really, really stuck to me. Again, this is Paul and he's writing to a young man named Timothy who was leading a church and Paul had left him in place to lead this church and here's what he tells him. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Merry Christmas, right? Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. Why was I shown mercy? Because I was the worst, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That the worst of us has hope because the rest of us need it. That's what Paul said. So what type of message of reconciliation are we bringing to other people? What is the point of our message of reconciliation with other people some of us bring a message of moral reconciliation <clears throat> where we tell people to, uh, to keep the law and everything will be okay. We bring moral reconciliation because it's all that we know. I can see your life and I can judge your life and this is what I think you should do. If you keep the law, if you're good enough, if you have the right behaviors, then God will be satisfied with you. This is the parenting trap that I think most of us get into. We just give our kids like these behaviors that we expect them to keep and these, this list of rules that we expect them to follow. And then we forget that whenever they mess that up, like how can we be reconciled? Here's the moral, here's the law, keep this. Here's the truth, keep this. It's moral reconciliation, you do the right things. This is where we found ourselves a lot lately. We've got a list of behaviors that we expect, we expect for people to keep. And if you keep this list of behaviors, then you're Christian. If these are the things that you do, then you're Christian. And we have a whole slew of them. We all carry around our own little moral reconciliation pieces. But that's one of them, moral reconciliation. Let me just ask real quick. Let's get engaged for a second because we're getting tired. You know any moral reconcilers? You know any people who say, you want to be Christian, here's what you got to do. You want to be Christian, you got to vote this way. You want to be Christian, you got to think this way. You want to be Christian, you got to read this way. You want to be Christian, you can't listen to that music. You want to be Christian, you can't drink that drink. You want to be Christian, you can't do that to your body. You got a whole list of things that you got to do if you want to be Christian. That's, that's, that's moral reconciliation. There are things that Christians do as an outpouring of our joy in worship of God, but there is not a list of things outside of faith in Christ that make you Christian. And we've got to get back to that because the message of reconciliation is not do this, do this, do this, and you'll be satisfied. God will love you more. Mm -mm. But that's one message that we bring. And I want to compare it to this. Earlier, I don't know if you remember, I said that it's impossible or it's hard to save a drowning person without getting wet. And here's where we take this moral reconciliation piece. We see the person drowning 
and we just throw the facts at them. We just throw the, no, we throw, we throw rules at them. We're like, well, didn't you see the sign? Shouldn't have gotten in the water. Oh, you don't know how to swim? Shouldn't have gotten in the water. That's moral reconciliation. Here's all the things that you shouldn't have done. And if you didn't do these things, then you wouldn't be where you are. And since you did those things and now you are where you are, you're getting what you deserve. Merry Christmas. That's, that's moral reconciliation. The second is this uh, social reconciliation. We bring a message of so- social reconciliation where if you just keep the peace with people, if you can just make things better, if people can just get along, if we can move all this stuff down the road a little bit, social reconciliation is the message that we bring. And it's like, um, here's the drowning illustration for this, right? So you've got the person drowning in the water. You don't want to get into the water, but you see other people. And so you look around at the other people and you're like, hey, we should do something. We make it social. Like, anybody want to do? Because eh. haven't we seen some stuff lately that we're just like, that's not right. That's not okay. What are you doing? Oh, that's, who thought that was good? We're like, man, somebody needs to do something. And then nobody does, so nothing gets done. But we bring this message of if only we could do this, we bring a message of social reconciliation. And then one of the things that I've been guilty of in my life is number three here, doctrinal reconciliation, right? We, we want to just keep the truth. And if you see the person drowning, but you don't want to get in there, you just throw them the facts. Like, you know, you're standing back over there on the shore, right? You're like, hey, just move your arms differently. No kick. Like, we're just throwing the facts out at people. And like, here are the things that you have to do. Because if you don't have swimming purity, then you'll never make it, right? And we think that you've got to have like this doctrinal purity. But the people who are like the harbingers of doctrinal purity are the ones who believe what you believe. And in order for you to keep doctrinal reconciliation, you have to believe the things about Scripture that I believe about Scripture because if you believe something differently about Scripture, yours can't be right and mine be right. Oh, my God, we've got to figure this out. There's no figuring it out. Anybody ever been there with me? Right? These are the kind of people that, like, this is normal, right? We've got this moral reconciliation, social reconciliation, doctrinal reconciliation. I want to just make a weird statement for just a second. I think all three of those are necessary sometimes. I think sometimes we do need some more morality. Sometimes we do need to remind people of what is right, what is good, and how to live. Don't we need to do that sometimes? Like I think every now and then, here's, okay, here's an example. It was 2001, 2002, and I was dropping my wife off. She wasn't my wife at the time. I was dropping her off at her car. And I saw a dude in a truck next to her car. And I recognized the guy, so I just went and knocked on the door, and I could tell that he was not having a great night. You ever have one of those where you're just not having a great night? And I go in, and this guy is fuming, and he's the dude that I knew when we were in high school. You didn't mess with him. In fact, you wanted him on your side because he was going to fight somebody, and you didn't know what was going to happen, but you knew he wasn't going to get beat. And I saw him in his truck, and he was fuming, and he was sitting outside this guy's house waiting to find an opportunity to go into his house and do not nice things to him. I did not say, well, let me pray for you. I did not say a lot of things that other people might think that I should say. But what I did say is I said, hey, can I just sit and talk to you? And so here I am in my early 20s talking to this guy, trying to talk him back from this ledge of spending the rest of his life in the penitentiary. Every now and then we need some morality, right? Like, hey, don't go kill people. That's bad. Don't do that. Every now and then we need that. And social reconciliation. Sometimes we need social reconciliation. Sometimes we need people to say, hey, you know what? This group of people is being mistreated. This group of people is being oppressed. We need to go take care of that. We need to do something about that. And the church should be the ones leading that charge. The church should be the ones saying, hey, there will be no oppression. There will be no people who don't have a voice. There will be no people who don't have a chance to experience the joy of God because of something else in their lives. We are going to be the voices of that. We're going to be the ones that lead that charge. And that's one of those things where it's just like, come on, church, why are you not leading that charge? We are the messengers of reconciliation. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the ones that have been redeemed so that we can take that message to others. We see it. It needs to happen. Sometimes we've got to take that. And then doctrinal purity, doctrinal reconciliation, that needs to happen sometimes because we believe certain things are true. And those things that are true, we need to tell other people that they are true. But when somebody doesn't believe what is true that you believe is true, maybe practice love. Maybe practice kindness. 
Maybe get to know why they believe what they believe before you condemn. I'm speaking to myself. The issue with much of our efforts to make peace, to reconcile, is that we act like it is all about what people do. And since this whole humanity experiment got rolling, we've blown it over and over again. Yet we still imagine that if people try harder, they will do better, they will make it further, and it will all be okay. But we know that that is not true. We know that the message of reconciliation is the gospel. It does not keep the law, it does not keep the peace, and it does not even keep the truth. It's more about keeping the faith. It's more about experiencing who Jesus is. So this Christmas, I would like for us who have experienced the grace of God to be the extenders of Christmas to other people. If you have received the grace of God, if you have received the goodness of God, then make it your aim this Christmas season to extend that to others. And it can start this week because some of you are gonna be around family that you find it most difficult to be gracious around. Can I get a yeah? Uh Uh-huh. That's my version of can I get an amen. It's less weird. Some people are like, that was weird. We are going to have opportunities this week to be the Christmas message for people, to be the message of hope, to be the message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors this week, next week, next month. Let's end 2021 showing people how good he is. And let's get ready for 2022 to show people how good he is. Wherever we are in life right now, whatever we're thinking, whatever we're doing, whatever problems we have, can we be the messengers of reconciliation for those who have yet to be reconciled? I would like to pray for us. Jesus, we are so thankful for you. We are so grateful for your kindness. We're so grateful for your redemption. Father, we are so glad that you saw fit to send your son to bring us back into relationship with yourself. There's so much that we could have said this morning, so much that should have been said, so much that shouldn't have been said, but would your spirit overwhelm us? Thank you so much for not waiting for us to get it right. You didn't wait for us to have power. You didn't wait for us to be godly. You didn't wait for us to be friends. You came in when we were not. Would you continue to speak to us and show us your love? Raise us up to be your ambassadors, to share your message of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.